0: Good morning. It's great to see you here today. I'm excited about uh, what I'm going to share with you today. It's something that's been on my heart for a while, something I've personally experienced. And what I'm going to talk with you about this morning is what it means to wait on the Lord, uh, what it means to understand God's timing in your life, the wise follower of God we we'll understand that God's timing is often not his or her uh, timing in life. Right after I graduated from college in 1980 with a mechanical engineering degree from the University of Minnesota, uh, I was 23, I felt a real distinct call to pursue pastoral ministry. And I remember talking with my wife at that time, and we decided that probably the time wasn't right for me to do that at that moment. We had just had our first daughter, Elizabeth. We were uh, very poor, and needed money. I needed to get a job. I didn't have any life experience whatsoever uh, of of a healthy family kind of situation. And we thought it'd be wise for me to be married for a while and maybe raising some kids before I'm trying to help other people do that kind of thing. And I also um, thought that uh, it would be really good for me to understand how to you know, apply godly principles uh, to the work environment. And I remember going into 3M thinking, I'm going into a holy experiment here, God. I want to do this thing for your glory. Um, And I learned this, and I'm going to drive this point home later on in the message, is this, when I use that phrase, waiting on God, it's not a passive thing. It's not that you put your life on hold and you wait for some grand revelation from God about what you're supposed to be doing. Rather, it's an understanding of actively serving and pursuing him as you wait for his plans to unfold uh, in your life. Now, we live in a community here in Brookings that's got a large college population. And I remember being in college and having this dynamic in college, and I think it's here some too, um, is that someday... I'll start pursuing my life dreams and my life goals. Someday I'll start serving God because right now I'm in college and I got to get this done and get this over with first. I just got to get through this so I can have more free time, you know, and more space in my life to do these other things. Well, then you get married and you get done with college. What happens? You go right into a new job. It's overwhelming, and you can right away begin to think, well, someday. Someday, God, I'll pursue these things you've been laying on my heart. Someday, God, you know, I'll, I'll begin to do more volunteering or whatever. And, and then you have children, right? Like multiple children, most of us have. And you think again, what? I just got to get through this someday. Someday I'll have more space. Someday I'll be more available. And then those kids grow into teenagers, and the nightmare really begins. And I felt like a shuttle bus. I had six kids, and they're in everything. They were they're really involved in different things, and we, we encouraged that. And Vicky and I tag team. you got this, you got that. And it felt like we were just living in a maze, trying to figure out how to get these kids to and fro, all their activities and, and things like that. And then we think, okay, now I'm middle-aged, the kids are gone. Someday when I retire, <laughs> someday. And then you get to retirement age, and you're too tired to do anything. Nah, not true is it orf. Not true. Or's like the energizer bunny over here, so uh, but what we have to watch out for in our lives is that we do not become someday people. Because God wants us to wait patiently for him to unfold plans in our lives but he wants us to be actively serving and pursuing him as we do so. So I had this call of ministry in my life. i feeling this distinct call. So I, I, I thought, in the meantime, I should serve God in whatever I do, which is what you should do anyway, right? So I remember Vicki and I are freshly married. I'm like a senior in college, and she has this brilliant idea. Steve, you and I ought to do a preschool ministry at Way of the Cross. That was the church we were going to. And I, this is a charismatic church, you guys. It went, the services were long. The pastor's name was Fodenhauer. I affectionately called him Fodenhauer and a half. Because he, uh, he, he preached an hour and a half. And that was a sh- short... I remember this. One day he began to preach on the churches in Revelation. And I realized, he's going to preach on all seven churches today. And I remember really going the Vicky. goes, shh. I said, but he's going to do all seven we're going to be here until like three, you know, anyway. So we had an hour of worship, because after all, it was a charismatic church, and you sing a long time, people dance around, whatever. And then you had an hour and a half of the message. So we're doing preschool for two and a half hours. This is a VBS every Sunday. And I remember going in there thinking, whoa. And by the end of the hour, uh, two, hour uh, two and a half hours, I was exhausted. And about The sixth, seventh weekend, I remember going home and having a very serious conversation with my wife. I said, I don't want any kids. (laughs) And I think that alarmed her because I think she was hoping just the opposite would take place. And she said, you'll like them more when they're your own. And uh, they come out little and you can grow into it, you know, which was evidently true. And so um, at any rate, you have to... Live life in the present even when you're actively waiting on God to unfold his plans in your life. You have to actively uh, uh, serve God and, 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 and pursue him. We see this in the Lord Jesus himself. He didn't start his public ministry until he was 30 years old. And he only publicly ministered for three years and it changed the world. And I imagine that 30 years was interesting up to that last three years. You know, we get glimpses of things that happened in him, but our Lord, Savior, waited patiently 30 years to really publicly launch into ministry. And it was 15 years after I felt God's call into this kind of life. I was 38 years old when I entered in officially to the pastoral ministry, and nothing before that was a waste of time. Everything before that was doing life and doing it unto the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. It's important that we understand that part of following God faithfully is that we will wait on him frequently. Some of you have been praying for non-believing family members maybe for 10, 20 years and you're waiting on God saying, God, are you ever going to move in this life of this person I love so much? Some of us have been in marriages that maybe haven't been pleasant for a long time and you've been praying that your marriage would become God-honoring and that God would intervene and you're wondering, God, will you do anything? And he seems silent. Some of us have been dealing with extremely difficult issues with a child or two or three. And you're wondering, when is this child going to get it? When are they going to give their life to Jesus Christ? Why are they, you know, kicking the goat, so to speak? Why are they fighting everything, God, that you want to do in their lives? And when are they going to come around? And what do we do in the meantime? And some of you have endured a poor job that every day is an act of discipline going to that job. And you're thinking, God, are you going to ever take me out of this thing that I do not like to do? And some of us have dealt with health issues that you think, I, I don't want to deal with these anymore. That's what this message is tackling today. What do you do when you're waiting on God to do something? Whether it be a plan unfolding unfold in your life, whether it be a long-term kind of request, what do you do as you're waiting on the Lord? I, I'm going to uh, use some Christmas uh, characters to, to talk with you about this morning. You ever hear about Christmas in July? I'm a week late. But basically, I'm using some classic Christmas scriptures today that will gain real insight into what it means to wait on the Lord for us, if we'll hear what uh, I read this morning. So I'm going to go back to Luke chapter 1. If you have your Bible, you want to open to Luke chapter one, third third gospel in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke. And I'm going to read verses 5 through 25, and we're going to look at the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth this morning for a few moments and glean some insight on what it means uh, to wait on the Lord and how we're to do that. So here we go. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they are both very old. Once when uh, Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of the incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel says to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. That was a nice way of saying she's old, too. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you'll be silent, not able to speak until this day happens, because you do not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. There it is, God's time. Do you hear that? At their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he'd see a vision in the temple for he kept making signs to them, but it remained unable to speak. When the, his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months, she remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said, and these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. There's some really. There's grand insights here on what it means to wait in the Lord and how to do it. I find it fascinating and also extraordinarily enlightening that Zachariah and Elizabeth are labeled here as righteous people. Here's why I find that to be fascinating. In that culture at that time, if you were barren, you were thought to be under the judgment of God. And the culture would have judged you as doing something wrong And it would have been a great sorrow to be a barren couple. Yet they weren't bitter. They weren't cynical. They could have easily become embittered. They could have easily become cynical. But they were called righteous. They were standing fast in God. Have you ever been waiting on something to happen in your life and it just doesn't seem to happen? I want to tell you something today. If you're praying for that thing, God answering that prayer, he either answers yes or no or wait. But God always answers our prayer. You hearing what I'm saying today? If you're praying for something, if it's biblical and right for your life, God will answer yes or no or wait. Now, when he answers yes, what do we do? Oh, God's so good. God's so great. And we rejoice and we go kind of crazy. When God says no, are you as happy? not usually. And then some self-examination needs to take place. Was I asking for something that's wrong? Was I asking because of selfish motives, like James says? And you have to do some soul searching. God, maybe I was asking for something that wasn't for my good, ultimately. And you have to look at that because God always answers prayer. Yes, no, or wait. And so if you're not hearing an answer to your prayer, you've got to begin to say, okay, what's going on? Sometimes the no is because of this. He doesn't want to maybe deliver you from trying circumstances. Rather, he wants to create in you a dependence in the middle of those circumstances. And you have to begin to ask God, what are you up to? What are you trying to do in my life? Sometimes God's going to answer those prayers, but it's a wait. This isn't the right timing. That's what's the case for me when I was 23, And thought I should go into ministry. Now I look back and say, thank you, God. You saved a whole bunch of people from a lot of idiocracy. I mean, I won't even get there. I would have been an idiot, okay? I didn't know what I was doing. And you just saved a whole bunch of people from hearing a whole bunch of stuff I had to learn, you know, on the run. All right? Because that's how God works in his timing. But here's the difficulty when I'm uh, uh, putting this message together for you when I'm looking at this. Was I know that the no and the wait are hard to discern between. (laughs) And sometimes it's really difficult to know if God's just saying wait or if the answer is no. So I'm going to leave it at that because I don't have an answer for that one. But here's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about waiting on the Lord and getting some insight here from these two, Elizabeth and Zachariah. Get this, the process of waiting on God in faith is often as valuable as what you are waiting for. You have to be convictional of that as a follower of God. The process I am going through, you will never quit going through the process that God has for you to conform you to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the process that you are going through, the difficulties that you are facing, the, the cry of your heart of dependence upon God that is a valuable and often more valuable than the result that you desire uh, in, in your life. In my mid-20s, I went on a missions trip to Haiti, and I remember the organizer saying over and over and over again to us, this process, what God will do in your heart, is more valuable to you than any result that you'll ever achieve over there. You'll hardly do anything to help those people, but what He's going to do in your heart It's what really is going to be the benefit of this trip. We often want results, don't we? We're really result-oriented as a culture. We want results. But God really wants us to have enlarged hearts. He wants a process that changes us that conforms us, that transforms us into the, you know, image of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you don't see what he's up to, when you don't understand his timing or purposes, it's often such times that if you'll just hang on to the Lord God and if you'll just trust him, even when he is blurry to you, that your heart enlarges in faith. I watch some of these scientific shows on TV because... that's what you do at my age, I guess. I don't know. Anyway, um, I'm watching this one on the cheetah, this documentary. And the cheetah is a, is, a, is, a, is a hunting machine. It can run 70 miles an hour. You cannot run a cheetah. But here's one fatal flaw that the cheetah has. It has a way too small heart in proportion to its body size. So it can't run fast very long which is good news for some of us. Because if you're with somebody else, hopefully you're faster than the other person, right? And then that, you no, I'm just, sorry. Anyway, I didn't know, that's not my notes, so don't listen to that. Uh, Anyway, so what happens here is if the cheetah doesn't get the prey on the first go around, it just gives up. Because it doesn't have the energy to go after it again. Sometimes Christians seem to have a cheetah's heart. We speed into projects with great energy But lacking the heart for sustained effort, we fizzle before we finish. Then we vow to start faster and run harder when what we really need is not more speed but more staying power. We need enlarged hearts. And frequently, the reason that God has you waiting on something in your life, whatever it is, is he wants to enlarge your heart of faith. We don't want to be one to just start with a flurry and fizzle. We want to be one to have some staying power Let's go to point two here. Waiting on God is active, not passive. Pursue God in prayer as you wait. Always pursue God in prayer. I am convinced that Zechariah and Elizabeth actively, earnestly prayed for a child. Now, I think at the point when the angel Gabriel appears to them in the account that we read this morning that they had kind of given up because Zechariah said, how can this be I'm old and my wife is well along in years. And so in Zachariah's mind, I'm sure he was praying for God. But then when the childbearing years came and passed, what happened to him? This isn't going to happen. And he gave up on the prayers. I think this, and I propose this to you for your consideration this morning. I think God delights in answering prayers here over here. When we've given up, He delights in answering prayers that we prayed way back over here. Amen? That we've maybe even forgotten that we prayed. The angel said to him, God has heard your prayers. I don't know if he was praying at that moment for a child. But I know back here, he did. Why did God wait? We'll get to that in a moment, I think. I think there's some thoughts there that are important to consider But we have to understand that God hears our prayers and he answers yes, no, or what? Yes, no, or wait. God does things in prayer that we can't even think of or imagine. I always get a kick out of uh, the story of uh, Peter the Apostle. He goes up on the rooftop to pray. I'm sure he's thinking, I'm going to have some quality time with God. I'm going to connect with God. And God comes to him and says, don't call that unclean, which I call clean. You go minister to this ethnic group that you think is unclean. I don't even think that was on Peter's mind. But he went to God in prayer, and then God moves in ways that are mysterious and oftentimes unexpected. And I don't think when Zechariah went to the temple to minister before the Lord, he thought, I'm going to meet up with an angel of the Lord today, and he's going to tell me that I'm going to have a child. I don't think that was even in his scope of, of, of thinking whatsoever. Whatever God seems to be silent in on your life, let it drive to you the Lord in prayer. Listen to Matthew 7, 7. It says this. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. God answers prayer with a yes, a no, or a wait. Let's go into point three. Faith runs on a God clock and you're called to persevere and to stand fast in God. Faith runs on a God clock and we're called then to persevere and to stand fast in God. Sometimes, as Zachariah thought, we can give up when we're really at halftime, and God wants to do something phenomenal in our life. Sometimes we have failed miserably and think, God, now what? Am I undone? Are you done with me? But we have to continue to play the game. Oftentimes, we don't know what to do, continue to play the game. Stay fast in God and persevere in Him. On New Year's Day in 1929, Georgia Tech played UCLA in the Rose Bowl. It shows you how long the Rose Bowl's been going on. In that game, a young man named Roy Regals recovered a fumble for UCLA. Taking up the loose ball, he ran 65 yards the wrong way. He got disoriented. His teammate tackled him, saving him from scoring a touchdown for the wrong team. Unfortunately, they are way down in the opponent's you know, side of the field. They had a three and out and kicked the, went to kick the punt, and it was blocked and recovered for safety, demoralizing the UCLA team. At halftime, the UCLA players filed off the field, and they were in the dressing room. They are all dejected, and, and Riggles went off in the corner, with, put a blanket around himself, and just sat there in the corner. When the timekeeper came in and said, hey, coach, three minutes, and you've got to go off to the field again, the coach uh, stood up and said, everyone who started that game start in the second half. So they all went out, except for Riggles stayed in the corner, removed the blanket, and you could see that he'd been crying. And the coach said, Roy, get out there. And Roy said, I can't. I've ruined you. I've ruined the reputation of the UCLA football team. I've ruined myself. I can't face that crowd out there. To which the coach replied, listen, this is only halftime. Get out and play the second half of the game. And to some of us today, this is almost like a word of the Lord. We're only at half times in our lives. And we're giving up way too soon. We're wanting to quit. When God, I think, is saying to you and I, persevere in me, hang in there in me, and the best lies ahead if you'll just stay in me and play the game of faith and don't give up. Here's my motto as a follower of Christ. I will do the Lord's will, I will follow the Lord's will until my last breath, and then it won't matter anymore because I'll be in the Lord's presence. Amen? And I want to encourage you, whatever you're facing, whatever you go going on, whatever God seems to be silent on in your life, stand fast in him because there's some blessings of the weight. Let me talk about the blessings of the weight. God often allows us to get to the end of our resources so we can experience his supply. That's exactly what happened with the the conception and birth of John. The only answer for this is it's miraculous. Now, if that would have happened when Elizabeth was during, uh, you know, during her childbearing years, they might not have viewed that as so miraculous. But now, She's old. He's old. This is miraculous. There's no other way to explain it other than God intervened. And so oftentimes, uh, God allows us to get to the end of our resources so that we can experience His supply. I can only imagine how they talked to little John. It wasn't been different. Hey, John, you're a miracle baby. You shouldn't act like that, you know, or whatever. You know, there would have been a different perspective. They were known as righteous people. They were known as righteous people. But now they knew the faithfulness of God. They knew the supply of God. They knew the sufficiency of God. You think that they walked a little bit different and understood their relationship with God a little bit different because he had given them a child in their old age? I think so. Jim Simbaloff said this in his book, Fresh Faith. Many times when we get into emergencies and the situation seems totally hopeless, it's actually a set up. God wants to do something great. I have gone home. In my 25 years of ministry, I have gone home at times and I have said to my wife these words This is hopeless. <laughs> that situation is hopeless. I don't know what to do here. And without exception, she will say, Good. Because then you can't do it, can you? And I will say to her, that's not fair. But she's 100% right. And I thank God that she says those things to me because when things seem hopeless to us, when we can't figure it out, what do we have to do? We have to rely on the Lord God. And then we see him as bigger and stronger and more sufficient. Here's another blessing of the weight. Often we experience the greatest joy in life as God moves in an unexpected way. Elizabeth said, God has done this for me. He has shown me favor and taken away my disgrace. Do you think she was excited? Five months, I think she reveled in it. I think five months, she just sat there giddy, happy, ecstatic. Here's the reality that she faced. She had been misunderstood all of her life. You don't have any kids. Hmm. I wonder what you and Zechariah did wrong. wonder why God's judging you like this. Hmm. She had been facing that her whole life. Now that disgrace was removed. Do you think she was happy? Do you think she experienced joy unspeakable? you got to persevere in your faith. You've got to hang in there. Listen to this poem. Two frogs fell into a can of cream, or so I've heard it told. The sides of the can were shiny and steep. The cream was deep and cold. Oh, what's the use, said number one frog. Tis faith, no help around. Goodbye, my friend, goodbye, sad world. And weeping still, he drowned. But frog number two of sterner stuff, dog paddled in surprise. The while he wiped his creamy face and dried his creamy eyes. I'll swim a while, at least, he said. Or so it has been said. It wouldn't really help the world if one more frog was dead. An hour or two he kicked and swam. Not once he stopped to mutter. But kicked and swam and swam and kicked and hopped out via butter. Now, I know it's stupid. Um, (laughs) Here's the deal. What good would it do the world? What good would it do any of us if one more Christian succumbed to cynicism and gave up? What good would that do anybody? Swim a while. Trust in God. He's going to do some things that you don't even know he's going to do. Amen? But swim in them. Don't give up. One hiccup happened in Luke chapter 1. Zechariah didn't believe the angel's message, and so he had some quiet time to reflect on his lack of faith. Get this, and this is point four, and we're going to wrap up. As you wait on God, stand fast and on his promises. Wait on purpose. Wait on his promises. Noah's promises. The angel of the Lord Gabriel appeared to Mary, the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ, and announced to her that you're going to conceive and give birth to God's son. And then she says, Even your relative, Elizabeth, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. That's our conclusion today. Nothing is impossible with God. Wait on the Lord with expectancy. Whatever you're waiting on the Lord for, realize nothing is impossible with God. And I want you to remember these four words when it comes to waiting on the Lord. These four words. A summary of what I just shared with you. God's most interested in the process we're going through. He wants to develop us into Christ-likeness. We need to pursue God in prayer. In prayer. We need to be people who cry out to God and ask. Thirdly, persevere, persevere, swim a while. God will turn your cream to butter. Swim a while, persevere, and four, stand on the promises. So remember these four Ps, process, prayer, persevere, and promises. And I think you'll wait appropriately on the Lord then, amen.